God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. I don't have any children. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. The servant is going to get everything. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This is not thine heir. But he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Your own child, Abram. And he brought him forth abroad, or it's, as it's rendered in every other translation, God took him outside. Everybody say outside. And said, look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. The Lord will help me today. I want to talk to you folks about the view from outside the tent. Let's pray right now. Lord, I thank you for every person that's here. I thank you for the dreams that are being birthed within this church. I thank you for the dead dreams that are being brought back to life. I thank you that people are are feeling something within them begin to burn that says, I can dream again. Lord, I pray that you would help me today. Help me to deliver the word that you've given me. Help us, God, to see the view from outside the tent. Everybody say amen. Amen. Give your neighbor a fist bump. Some of you are high five challenge. Give them a fist bump. Tell them I'm going to help the man preach. That was a little weak. You better say that again. I'm going to help the man preach. Thank you. God bless you as you're seated. It just wasn't working out quite the way Abram thought it would. Oh, without a doubt, God had spoken to him while he was living at Haran. And God's instructions had been very plain. Abram, I want you to pick up. I want you to pack up. I want you to leave this place and I want you to go to a land that I will show you. I'm going to make a great nation out of you, Abram. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you famous. I'm going to bless the people who are good to you and I am going to curse the people who are bad to you. God had even said that He would be a blessing to others. That all of the families on earth would be blessed through him, through Abram. Abram, a wandering shepherd and son of an idol worshiper. The only thing really special about Abram was his obscurity. He was a nobody. But God had spoken and spoken very clearly those years ago and Abram believed God's promise then, and he still believed it now. Yet in spite of God's promise, Abram was finding that life wasn't going to be easy. See, since the time God had made that promise, Abram had managed to upset a certain Egyptian pharaoh because he lied about Sarah being his sister instead of telling them the truth that she was his wife. And on top of that, Abram's contrary nephew Lot had taken off and now occupied the best and choice lands in the region. 
And most recently, there had been a little dust-up a little while back, and Abram had even had to go to war to rescue that same troublesome nephew from five kings who were all on the warpath. See, Abram was finding that life still happens, even to those who have received a promise from God. Even those dreamers with God-given and God-inspired dreams still make mistakes. People still get angry and upset with dreamers. Conflict still arises even in the life of a dreamer. Family members will still betray you and the world will still try to take what it can from you even if you're a promise-given dreamer. It really was sinking in for Abram tonight that a dream, even a promise from Almighty God, doesn't make for an easy, problem-free life without pain or conflict. But Abram's no fool. He's been around. He's lived a little. He's got 75 years of wisdom working for him. He understands by now that life still happens and difficulties can can still come to anyone at any time, even to those that God has favored. He's not mad at God or anything like that. He's not bitter. He's not ready to give up on God and quit church and quit paying His tithes and quit quit teaching Sunday school. But there's something that's really bothering Him tonight about this whole promise thing. And he tries to go to sleep because there's so much that needs to be done tomorrow, but he just can't quit thinking about it. Even as tired as he is, Abram can't get his brain to shut off. The longer he lies there and stares up at the roof of his tent, the worse it gets. Because here I am out here with my wife and everything I own in the middle of nowhere. Dad's dead. Lot's gone crazy, no family, no friends, nobody to turn to for advice or help. I'm just trying to do what God told me to do, but it feels like I've got to do all of this crazy life stuff on my own here lately. Every two-bit king around here has lost his mind and is trying to kill the other one. I just told that idiot king of Sodom to go jump in a lake when he tried to reward me. For giving me, uh, for, for getting all of his servants and all of his stuff back. And to be honest with you, God, I still don't know what I was thinking on that one. Now, Lord, I know you're faithful. And I know you're good. And I know that you have your hand on me. And you've got your hand on my family. And I know that you have made me this incredible promise. You've given me this incredible, huge dream. But from where I am right now, it looks like it was all for nothing. Anybody ever had a night like that? If you have it, just hold on. It's coming. And what's really bothering me tonight, God, is that you said I'd have all of these children. You said you would make me into a great nation, but I don't have a single child, not one. So Lord, did I, did I miss your will somewhere? Did I mess this thing up somehow? Because I'm old now, Lord. People my age don't have babies. 
How can an old man like me, living in a goat hair tent in the middle of nowhere, father an entire nation? How is that dream even possible, God? Where did I go wrong, Lord? Won't you tell me? I'll I'll fix it if I can. How did I mess this up? Now, I want to leave Abram here for a little while. Just right there in his tent that really didn't look a whole lot like that tent, but you get the idea. Because God is going to do something that is absolutely amazing for Abram in just a little bit. But I really want you to understand where Abram was living because it's the same place where some of us have been living. And the miraculous thing that we're about to see God do for Abram, I believe He wants to do for some people that are in this house today. So I want to talk to you for just a moment about Abram's tent. Abram's tent would have been similar to the Bedouin tents of the age. They were very common among the nomadic shepherds in that part of the world. They were made of black goat's hair and they were waterproofed with a a felt-like material. Some tents were circular, some were built on square frames, but their primary characteristics were that they had to be easy to move, waterproof to a degree, and serve as a wind barrier when needed. Most of these tents were not elaborate unless you were extremely wealthy. They were designed to be functional. They got the job done. Since the shepherd's tent was always subject to perpetual removals, the furnishings of that tent would only include the necessities. Rugs might cover the ground if they could be afforded. And at nighttime, the bedding would be brought out, which was composed of mats or carpets on which to sleep. For the less affluent shepherd, their outer garments that they wore by day became their coverings by night. Sacks of grain would be piled up around the middle tent posts and Somewhere about the tent you would see a hand mill and a mortar for grinding grain into flour. Bags of animal skins or bottles, if they could be afforded, a leather bucket maybe for drawing water, and an earthen pitcher or two so that the women could carry the water back to the tent. Cooking utensils would not be many, and there would be very few serving dishes as these would be heavy and take up valuable space. A primitive lamp burning olive oil would illuminate the tent by night. And if the family was fortunate enough to have a camel, then the camel furniture would be used for sitting upon inside the tent. All that's inside there. Little else other than these furnishings would be needed for the simple life of tent dwellers. It was a Spartan style of life living inside these tents. Simple by necessity, but it was the life they chose to live. Not much room or use for extras when it came to tent living. It would only complicate things, you see. It was living how they liked it. It was how they needed it to be. Everything they needed to get by was there, easily accessed, but not much room or cause for anything else. It was easy to see what you had living in a tent like Abram's. Got four cups, got four plates, got three mats, got two pots, got one lamp, got one stool. 
All of it precisely arranged and easily counted and easily categorized. The tent was a functional place. Custom made for easing life's necessities of cooking, sleeping, and shelter. For shepherds like Abram, that dark goat's hair tent with its portability, its functionality, well, it kept the storms out. It kept the wind and the rain out, and it kept the wild animals at bay. Now, it may not have been much compared to city life or the palaces and temples of the day, but for Abram, Abram's tent was comfortable. It made his lifestyle easier and less complicated. For Abram, it was home. And after years of being a shepherd, Abram had tent living mostly figured out. There was just one problem with Abram's tent. Just one little issue that God had with Abram's tent. And we see it exposed in our text there in Genesis 15. Because as Abram is lying there in the darkness of his tent and and sleep won't come to him and he's restless and frustrated and despondent over how his dream just isn't coming to pass and how there's no speck of evidence that God's promise will ever become a reality in his life, God starts talking to Abram. And it's the same thing that God wants to say to every frustrated and restless dreamer in this house today. Abram. Don't be afraid. I'll be your shield, Abram. I will protect you, Abram. And like Abram, the voice of the dreamers in this house cry out, but God, what good are all of your blessings since I don't have the promise? Yes, God, yes, you have blessed me, but where is my dream? Your blessings, God, they are great and I am thankful and I appreciate them. But where's the dream, that promise that will really fulfill me and make all of your blessings worthwhile? So in answer to Abram's question, God calls upon Abram to do what he asks of every dreamer at some point. He calls Abram outside. Genesis chapter 15, verse 5. I'm reading in the New Living Translation now. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky, Abram, and count the stars if you can, because that's how many descendants you're going to have. You see, the problem with Abram's tent, the issue that God had with Abram's tent was that it blocked his perspective From inside of his tent, it was impossible for Abram to see what God wanted him to see. So God called him, God drew him, God led him outside of his tent. At some point, Abram had to get up and he had to go out of his tent so that he could see the scope of God's promise. Okay. Sounds easy enough. Just get up and go outside, right? Okay, Coop, I got you. Not so fast. Not so fast because remember, life inside the tent was functional. It was comfortable. It was known. Everything in it, 
is easily counted, easily quantified, easily calculated, easily categorized, and it's all arranged just the way I like it. Years of living in that tent have taught me just where things should be placed. I want them just so. And how all of my stuff should be prioritized. And while my tent may limit my perspective and it may block my vision, it also protects me from the wind and the rain. It also fits with the lifestyle that I've chosen. So getting up in the middle of the night and leaving the safe confines of my tent is no easy thing to do. Not so fast. Because the view from outside of the tent is wide open. It's not as comfortable. I'm exposed. I'm vulnerable. And whenever I step outside the tent and look up into that vast expanse of sky, I can't quantify it. I can't calculate it. I can't categorize it. I don't know it. I don't understand it all. And it makes me just a little bit scared. It's the view from outside the tent. It scares us because the scope of God's plan and what He wants to do in our lives is so huge, it's so fathomless, it's so unknown when compared to the safe, comfortable confines of my tent. God told Abram, come here son, I want to show you something. Get out of your tent and look up and I want you to count the stars if you can. Professor Lawrence M. Krauss is a theoretical physicist at Arizona State University. Smart guy. (laughs) He's also a staunch atheist, so I get a real kick out of using him in my sermon. Take that, Professor, Professor Krauss. Professor Krauss says on a clear night in the country, if you're lucky, you see maybe 3,000 stars, but that's just the tip of what is a vast cosmic iceberg. In our galaxy alone, there are over 100 billion stars. And in fact, there are over 100 billion galaxies in the observable universe. There are more stars than there are specks of sand on earth. So even if Abram could have counted the stars that night, He could have only counted those he could see. So his perception of God's plan and his concept of God's promise and his vision of God's dream would still have been puny when compared with his actual reality. Some of you will take God up on that. Okay, God. One, two, three, four. And you'll spend all night counting trying to quantify what it is God is trying to show you is a huge, vast, impossibly to understand dream that you can't even see it all. So quit counting. Quit trying to count it. Quit trying to quantify it. Quit trying to make it fit in your tent. In recent weeks, God has been calling this church, this church, you, 
God has been calling you. And He's calling some of you so specifically this morning. And He's saying it is time for you to get up out of your tent and go outside. Would you dream just a little bit? Would you take one step toward the ladder that I have prepared? I know your clay may have been marred and the original dream may seem lost. And I know it may be in the middle of the night in one of the darkest times of your life. But if you will listen this morning, you will hear God's call. Hey, Abram. Hey, dreamer. Hey, it's time to get up and see what your dream looks like from outside of your tent. It's time for you to broaden your perspective a little bit. It's time for you to broaden your vision. Time for you to get a different view of the scope of my plan for you. Because this dream is huge. It's massive. It's glorious and it's endless. And it can be a little bit frightening. So it's no wonder to me that when God started talking to Abram that night, the first thing He said was, Abram, don't be afraid. I will be your shield. You don't have to be afraid of leaving the tent in the middle of the night, Abram. Don't let the massive scope of my promise frighten you because the same all-powerful God who spoke these very stars into existence is with you. You don't need that tent to protect you. You don't need that tent to keep the storms of life at bay. I know that whenever you get up and step outside of the tent, you're going to feel vulnerable and you're going to feel exposed. But I will be your shield and I will be your protection. Some of you are hesitant today. I'm not sure I can get out of the tent. I'm not sure I can leave this carefully constructed life. I'm worried about what's going to happen if I really step out. God's saying, if you'll really just stop and think about it, that carefully constructed, prioritized tent of yours won't really protect you at all whenever the really big storms of life come. But I can take care of you. I can protect you. Here's one for you. I can even cause you to prosper. You're not just going to survive. You're just not going to get by. It's not just going to be functional. But I can cause you to grow and expand and prosper whenever you take a step outside of your tent. You don't have to be afraid to get up. Middle of the night or no, you don't have to be afraid to step out and see that view outside the tent because I am the almighty creator and I've got you, Sister Melanie. I've got this. Genesis 15 and 6 tells us that he, Abram, believed the Lord. Good job, Abram. And he counted it. His faith in God's promise, God counted it to him for righteousness. This blew my mind. Mind blown. God's, Abram's faith in this massive dream, this huge promise, that meant something to God. It says that God counted it as righteousness to him. Well, what is righteousness but acceptance by God? 
That's what righteousness is. God's saying, I accept you. So Abram's faith made him acceptable to God. Not his well-organized, functional, portable storm shelter that he had constructed for himself. It was his faith and belief in God. His faith in God's ability. His faith in God's willingness to bring a big, big dream to pass. Abram's faith to say, God, you are really, really big and really, really powerful. And I believe you can do it. I believe you want to do it. And I believe you will do it. And that simple yet profound faith caused God Almighty to look at Abram and say, Abram, you now meet my minimal standards for acceptance. You believe that I will do what I say I will do. And that's all he's asking from some of you dreamers in this house today. Will you believe that I will do in your life, for your family, on your job, in your ministry, at your church, what I said I will do? If so, you meet the minimal standards for acceptance. Come on in. Well, I didn't get a lot of amens on that, but it's still the truth. See, it's not an easy thing. That's why I didn't get too many amens. It's not an easy thing to go outside the tent and step out in faith. Even one little step of faith can be frightening. Just ask Peter. It's not always easy to believe God for a dream, to hold on to a promise. One look at Abram's ancestry will show you his struggle. See, there were two natures at war within Abram. We always think genealogies are boring. And most of the time they are. But not this one. Genesis 11, 10 through 26 is a listing of Abram's ancestry. And it starts with a guy named Shem, the eldest son of Noah. Shem literally means name. So, congratulations. Your name is name. Way to go. Now, there's more to it than that because what's connotated there is that it, it's, a, it's a great name. It is distinguished. It is fame. It is renowned. It is reputation. It's celebrated. That kind of name. So, his ancestry starts with Shem, but his ancestry stops with the man named Torah, who was Abram's father. Now, Terah is an obscure name in the Bible. It only really appears twice. One the man, one the place. Terah the man, the origins of the word even are unknown. So Terah is most commonly believed by biblical scholars that are a lot smarter than me to mean wanderer or loiterer. So to wander, you move about without purpose. You loiter. God help you if you've ever been arrested for loitering. Because you stand around and wait idly without purpose. So Abram's ancestry, get this, in Genesis 11, symbolizes his nature. It starts off and has beginnings in fame, renown, reputation, celebrated, distinguished. But it ends in wandering, loitering, and waiting around without purpose. Now nothing in Scripture is accidental. Nothing in Scripture is accidental. 
So the names of Abram's ancestors illustrate the two natures that are at odds within him. On one side is renown, recognition, great name, great exploits. Somebody who has done great needs, accomplishment, the desire to do great things, the desire to dream, the desire to see those dreams come true. But on the other side is a wandering, loitering, standing around idle without purpose person. One who says, I don't know where I'm going and I don't know what I'm doing while I'm here. Remember Torah. Abram's father is the one who left Ur of the Chaldees. He took Abram and Sarah and Lot with him on his way to Canaan. Don't believe me? Check it out in Genesis 11. But Terah is the one who stopped in his journey at a place called Haran. Forgive the language lesson today, but Haran means crossroads or place of decision in Hebrew. So it's no surprise to me at all that the wandering and loitering Terah stopped in Haran. He stopped at the crossroads. He stopped at the place of decision. And the Bible says that Terah lived to be 250 years old and he stayed in Haran until he died. He never left the crossroads. He never left the place of decision. So it's these two natures that struggle within Abram and they struggle within each one of us this morning because one is great and celebrated and makes a name for himself or herself and has a reputation for greatness. It is the very nature of a dreamer. But that other nature is a wandering, loitering, aimless, purposeless spirit that can never quite make up its mind to leave the crossroads of life. A nature that would rather live and die at a place of decision. Would rather never move forward than risk what happens whenever you take a step in either direction. Lieutenant Norman Dyke is the company commander of Easy Company in the 101st Airborne Division. During the first week of November 1944, is a week's Immediately prior to the Battle of the Bulge in World War II, there was an assault around the town of Foy during the battle. Lieutenant Dyke told the men to advance, actually sent them out on patrol, and while that was going on, they came under attack. So he told the men to take cover. And as they're taking cover, men become injured, and, and some men are dying from the attack that's coming from the direction of Foy. So his subordinates told Lieutenant Dyke, We've got to move. We've got to get up and we've got to move. And the superiors got him on the radio and they told him, you've got to move. You can't stay there. But Lieutenant Dyke froze. He couldn't bring himself to give the order to move forward or to move backward one way or the other. And so as a result, many men in Easy Company died that day because of his indecision. And it was said of Norman Dyke, what made Lieutenant Dyke a bad leader wasn't that he made bad decisions. It's that he didn't make any decisions at all. But don't be too hard on the good lieutenant because it's a common problem. When the stakes are high and the bullets of life are flying and it comes crunch time and you've got to make a decision, so many of us, Yours truly included, freeze up from time to time. The perceived risk of getting up 
and going out of the foxhole or out of your tent or out of your norm or out of your comfort zone or whatever you want to call it, the perceived risk is so high and we don't want to make a mistake. We don't want to fail. We don't want to let anybody down. And we think we can stay safe as long as we just maintain the status quo. God, you got to help me right now. Because that nature exists in every single one of us. So we find ourselves in need of the same thing that Abram needed. Abram needed an encounter with God that changed his nature. Stop right there for a minute. Watch this. Abram was 75 years old when God first spoke to him of the promise. Happened in Genesis 12, again in Genesis 13. He was 75. Abram went on from there to make a colossal mistake. Abram and Sarah couldn't quite believe, bring themselves to believe God's promise, so Abram fathered a child through his Egyptian servant, Hagar. So Ishmael was born when Abram was 86 years old. That's all recorded in the 16th chapter of Genesis, for those of you keeping track. Chapter 17 opens. It's 13 years later. Abram is 99 years old. Now there is no record in Scripture of what went on in Abram's life for the 13 years that happened between the colossal mistake of chapter 16 and when God reintroduces Himself to Abram at the beginning of chapter 17. It's my opinion that Abram spent those 13 years of no record trying it his way and living with the consequences of the Ishmael that he had created. So Genesis, oh, I'll just go ahead and put your seatbelts on. Because Genesis, God is so not done with Abram. Genesis 17 is scriptural proof that a mistake does not mean the end of a dream. It is proof, God help me, that a lapse of faith can't kill God's promise working in your life. Okay, you messed up, but God's bigger. Yeah, you made a mistake, but God's bigger. You shouldn't have done it that way, but God's bigger. Come on. Abram's mistake with Hagar and Ishmael has created strife and warfare and bloodshed for thousands of years. The Arab nation, the Arab people. Ishmael is their father. That's who the Islamists point to as their daddy. It's resulted in untold numbers of dead people. Anybody heard of the Crusades in this building? All right, frustrated dreamer, disbeliever in the house today, God's got your number. Was your mistake that catastrophic? Was your mess up that big? 
then if God still wants to use Abram after the big old mess he made, what makes you think God will reject you? If Abram's dream didn't come to an end, what makes you think your dream has to come to an end? If Abram's promise could still come to pass, then I believe yours can too. And so can mine. And so can yours. And so can yours. Ah. Gotta hurry. At 99 years of age, God speaks to Abram again. Listen closely. Because God is saying the exact same thing to you today that He said to Abram back then. He said, Abram, you remember me? I am the Almighty God. Walk thou before me and be thou perfect. Walk blameless before me, Abram. Quit trying to do it your way, Abram. See, it's almost time for the promise to be born. We're getting close. It's almost time for you to see that dream to come to pass. And if that's going to happen, you're going to have to step up just a little bit. If I'm going to do this thing through you that you so desperately want me to do, if I am going to fulfill this dream of yours, then you're going to have to make just a few changes in how you've been doing things. The past 13 years, you've been trying to do it your way. hasn't worked out real well, has it? So now we're going to try things my way, Abram. So he introduces to Abram the concept of a covenant and circumcision. Taking commitment to a whole nother level. Letting Abram know, okay son, the fulfillment of the dream, the delivery of the promise, it's going to require just a little more of you than what you've given up to now. And all of a sudden, everybody in the room just went... Because we have no interest. No interest in giving more. Some of us really don't know how we can. Because we are tapped out. But listen to this. With greater commitment on your part comes greater reward and favor on God's part. I find it very interesting that when God first spoke to Abram in Genesis 12, He told him, I will make you into a great nation, singular. Yet here in Genesis 17, after his colossal mistake, after 13 years of no contact, after 13 years of Abram trying it his way and just living with the consequences, God says in Genesis 17 verse 4, My covenant is with you, Abram, and thou shalt be the father of many nations. Plural. So your mistake... Your bad decision and your lapse in faith in no way diminishes the scope of the dream or God's ability to make it come to pass. God's not done. There's still this matter of Abram's struggling nature to deal with. So in verse 5, he says, Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. See, along with my ability and my desire to do even greater things through you, Abram, I'm going to put in you a new nature. 
I'm going to change that wandering, loitering, aimless, purposeless part of you that you've been struggling with for the last 13 years. God said, I've made. I've made. Not will make. Not can make. Made. It's already done. I have made you into something greater than you were before. I have changed your nature. No longer will you be called Abram, great father, exalted father. Now you will be called Abraham, father of many. I've got to think that Abram, Abraham's first name was it had to be an embarrassment to him at times. Great father, exalted father, you're walking around, you're 75, you have no kids. It must, have, it must have stung him some days to hear that name. Because it reminded him over and over and over again of that aimless, purposeless, dreamless nature within him. Probably felt like the, like the punchline of some cruel cosmic joke. Some of you here today, You're living with embarrassment too. Because that aimless, loitering, wandering spirit within you has caused you to live with the consequences of trying to do it your way. But God, God has this thing that He does. And I just love it. He just changes people's names. Abram became Abraham. Jacob, that deceiver, that supplanter, became Israel. One who has power and prevails with God. Simon, this wishy-washy, impulsive fisherman, became Peter. The rock. A man of revelation. A great preacher. Saul was a persecutor and a murderer of early Christians, but he became Paul. A great disciple, great missionary, and a writer of Scripture. Are you kidding me? Every one of them had this moment with God where He changed their nature and gave them a new name. Some of you here today can't find the faith to believe in the dream or hope for that promise because it's that old nature that's struggling within you. But Jesus wants to have an encounter with you today. See, it's what the blood of Calvary does. It takes away the mistakes and failures of that old man. And then the waters of baptism bury that old man and wash that old nature away. And then the Spirit of God enters in and it makes a new man. It makes a new Nature. 2 Corinthians 5.17, y'all stand with me. says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things, all things, all things, all things become new. God wants to create in you a new nature. 
Not just a nature that can believe in the dream. That was Abram. Before the encounter, before the change, even Abram could believe in the dream. Not just believe that God is able. Oh God, I know you can. Not just believe. God wants to change that old. There's something powerful about believing, but God is calling somebody to step out of the tent and go just a little bit further today. I want to put a new nature in you. A nature that goes beyond belief that I can. No, 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 no. Because this new nature goes way beyond that. This nature allows you to become the very vessel of the promise. This new nature makes you into the means by which the dream is fulfilled. Not pastor, not ministry staff, not praise team, not Sunday school. You become the means by which the promise enters into this world. That nature changed. But that old wandering, loitering, aimless, purposeless spirit is gone. And God changes your name. And now you don't just believe in a promise. But the promise is actually working through you. The dream is coming to pass through you. He's calling you. Frustrated dreamer. Hesitant one. Still hanging out at Haran. He's calling you. Would you step outside of your tent? Would you dream just a little? Would you lift up your eyes? Would you see the scope of my plan? I want to have an encounter with you today. I want to meet you in this place. I want to take that old nature out. And I want to put the vessel of a promise, a dream fulfiller in you. So now it's crunch time. This is where the proverbial rubber meets the road. Because now it's time to step out. God, you've had my number all morning. Can't deny it, can't hide from it, can't run from it anymore. You've been... Dream stuff, dream stuff, dream stuff for the last month and a half. And I can't get away from it anymore. I know you're talking to me. Where are the frustrated dreamers? Where are the ones willing to believe? God, I don't just believe you can. I don't just believe that you have the power. I don't just believe that you're able, but I believe that you want to. Any dreamers willing to step out today, meet with me up here. 
God, I've put this life together the best way that I can. I've shaped it, informed it, and made it as functional. I've prioritized it and categorized it until I just can't anymore. But it's not getting it done. I'm ready for the dream to be fulfilled through me. I'm ready for the promise to come through me. Okay, another level of consecration. Okay. I can step out. I can take one step out of the tent. I can lift up my eyes. I can see what you've made. Oh, God. Find somebody to pray with here this morning. Find somebody to pray with. God, talk to the dreamers. Talk to the dreamers. Change natures right now, Jesus. Jesus.